Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Hey, food bloggers. Do you ever get caught up in the confusion about how in the world you are going to make money? Take the free quiz I've put together for you that is going to help you get to the bottom of this problem. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash quiz to find out which stream of revenue is the next perfect one for you. Your results will be personalized based on your answers, and they will provide you with action steps and resources that will help you launch into monetizing your blogging business in a new way. There are truly so many ways to make money as a food blogger, so don't waste another second. Again, go to eblogtalk.com forward slash quiz and get started on your next revenue stream today. Hey guys, just reminding you to head over to iTunes if you haven't already to subscribe, rate, and review Eat Blog Talk. It adds value to this podcast when you do that, and I would be so grateful for your time. It will take two minutes, press pause, go do it, and come back and keep listening. Hey there, food bloggers. Welcome to another episode of Eat Blog Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have Benjamin Dell with me from missingletter.com, and we are going to have a fun chat about how to increase awareness and traffic for your content. Benjamin Dell is the founder and CEO at Missing Letter, a social marketing automation company that automatically creates 12 months worth of social content for each blog post you publish. He previously owned a web agency for over 10 years. During this time, he also launched a number of SaaS startups, two of which were acquired. Benjamin is passionate about empowering businesses and brands with tools that help them succeed. Benjamin, hey, I'm super excited to have you here today. But first... I know I'm putting you on the spot with this, but we want to hear your fun fact. <laughs> well, firstly, Megan, thank you for, for having me on. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Um, fun fact. We were just saying off air, you know, uh, one man's fun fact is is um, another person's boring sort of uh, detail. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I'm going to try and straddle the lines and see whether, well, I guess I guess I'll never know whether... whether yes, you'll never know. <laughs> um, received as boring or interesting. But there we go. That's the risk we take. Um I'm, can you can you notice I'm delaying? Maybe, maybe I don't have a fun fact. Let's let's see. Um, so I'm sitting. I know, I know the audience can't see me, um, but on my webcam you can see I'm in my office, which I built myself a year ago, um, having never built much before. And I, and I almost live every day in fear that the roof is going to come crumbling down on top. No no signs that of course it will. But um, uh, with, with, without the professional experience. You've got to wonder, haven't you, whether you did that thing right, or screwed that thing in correctly, or hammered that nail uh, in the right place. So, uh, yeah, that's my somewhat um, long but um, hopefully fun fact. Yeah, I liked it. And so, if your roof does fall on you, I will be able to see you at least in the next, you know, thirty minutes or so. So, <laughs> call for help. <laughs> I can I can warn you if I see things crumbling above you. So, I've got your back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Um, turn the tides and talk a little bit about increasing awareness and traffic for your content. This is a topic that 
food bloggers are going to absolutely devour. So this is going to be great. And as you know, things change so often, I feel like, in the social media realm and also the content creation realm. And sometimes it's hard to keep up with it. Like, what are we supposed to be doing? You know, that like quote, supposed to be. Um, So maybe you can shed some light on this for us. And I would love to start off by just asking you, what are your thoughts about content curation still being an effective strategy for social media? Yeah, it's a good question. But I'll just answer the first one you posed there, because I think it's a good way of just leading into kind of the broader topic. And that, that was a question around what are we supposed to, in inverted quotes, be doing? And, and you know, the, it, it's, it's a two-part answer, really. And, and, you know, really it comes down to whatever works. But whatever works requires, or to, or to establish what works for you, really requires experimentation. And so if there's one thing I'd hope to get across in, in, in our conversation today um, for your audience is, is to embrace the idea of experimentation when it comes to promoting your content. Um, it's very easy in this day and age, as you say, things are moving you know, quickly in terms of industry and, and, and best practice and all that sort of thing. So it's easy to kind of assume that it's a, a particular approach will work or won't work or has a certain sort of negative connotation or that, you know, whatever those sort of, um, uh, sort of reservations might be. Um, but give it a go, like, you know, experiment, try things out and see what works for you. Because again, that quote before, well, that sort of point at the beginning, you know, one man's um, uh, interesting fact is, is, is someone else's boring sort of bit of information. The same applies for promotional tactics, whatever that happens to be. What works for you won't necessarily work for someone else. And, and the same goes the other way. So always take advice that you're listening to, whether it's from me, uh, ironically, or from anyone else with a pinch of salt. Um you, you because you are literally reading into someone's very specific experience with their content with their setup with their you know background of experience and all that sort of stuff so embrace the idea of experimentation and and you're off to a good start um how long do you recommend experimenting with something because we hear this a lot too in our space you know try something different if what you're doing isn't working uh, maybe go a different route and then we do for a little while and we see that it's not working so we change routes again how long do you recommend sticking with a new experimental strategy? Yeah, well, we've all been there. So, so first of all, you're not alone in, in, in this sort of in, in what you've just posed there, which is I'm trying something, I'm bashing my head against the wall, hopefully not this office wall or it might come crumbling down, um, and, and it's not working. And it can feel really demoralizing and, and you feel like you failed. And, and actually, the, the, the reality or the misconception here is that we're led to believe that experimentation requires multiple experimentations you know we, we've got to throw everything at this um at, at the challenge and, and so i need to be doing social i need to be doing paid ads i need to be doing podcasts i need to be doing youtube videos you know all the things and actually it's the exact reverse of that when when when, when we're talking about experimentation focusing what you're experimenting on and being very intentional about that one maybe two things that you're going to experiment with is actually the key so start from that and then, then the next question arises, um, you know, how much time and effort should I be spending and potentially money should I be spending on that experiment? Um, and if you're focused on one thing, let's take paid ad, ads for, uh, as an example, um, you know, it, it hopefully will follow that there'll be a, a somewhat sensible um, approach that you can take, where, which would be something along the lines of, you know, um, four to six weeks of doing X, Y, Z with two week sort of review points. You know, give yourself enough time to actually take in the data that you're collecting. And where I, the reason I said it sort of naturally follows is that if you are just choosing one thing to focus on, 
it should be quite easy to come up with what feels like a, a, a meaningful amount of time and money or resources to spend on it. On the flip side, if you're starting off from a point of I'm going to try all five things all in one go, it actually becomes very difficult to work out what a good plan looks like because they kind of overlap that one, one sort of eats the resources of the other one and it just becomes a, a, a bit of a mess. Um, so start from that point of clarity first. Um, and again, it really depends, you know, paid ads, it's probably more about the money you're putting at it and time to a certain extent, whereas other things might be a pure time-based um, exercise um, in terms of the, the parameters for that experiment. I think we find this too in our space because there's so much to do. I mean, there's like different streams of revenue we can tackle and there's also different projects. And then people talk about like you have to niche down. So we're constantly finding or trying to find that like super micro niche. So there's so many things and it's hard to know exactly what to focus on. But I love hearing just one or two, just to focus on one or two things at a time. So you just gave us permission to just do a couple of things. It's also for the point of you need in an ideal world, you will you will you will carry through the experiences and the learnings from the previous exercise or experiment through to the next one. And that's really quite easy to do if you're going from one to, to another. Um, but actually, if you're, if you're doing five all at once, how do you disseminate what those learnings are? It actually becomes really sort of confused and crowded in terms of that knowledge that you've gained from it. Because remember, even if it's failed, you know, it's, a, it's, it's still knowledge. But if you're doing, if you've got five failed things, how can you really attribute the failure or the learning to a particular thing that you did? So yeah, you need to be mindful of learning and bringing that forward through to the next experiment. I love how you said that. That was great. Yeah, carrying your lessons forward that you learn is actually going to help your next project. Such a great thing to keep in mind. Okay, let's go back to... Um, that other question about content curation being an effective strategy on social media. What do you think about that? Yeah. So look, your audience are content creators, you know, in the, in the food blogging, it, it is, you know, hopefully there's a lot of creative stuff that you're doing outside of the written word. Um, but fundamentally the way that you present that is, is, is through the written word in most cases um, in, interwoven with videos, I'm sure. Um, but you're creating content. And so we're already in that world of, um, content creation and the way I like to th see this as as the same different sides to the same coin you've got content creation and then you've got content curation and one is where you are creating it and the other one is where you are finding other people's content as a means for um, sharing it with your audience to to help um, to increase the amount of knowledge I suppose that you're um, and and value that you're you're able to share with your audience and I let's let's knock this back to a a simple example if we're blogging i'm just going to take take an example here let's say once a week um with the best will in the world there's there's only a certain amount of uh tweets and facebook posts or, or information that you can include in a newsletter about that post um you might do you know opinion p p pieces or you know other things that are that are unrelated to that blog post but still that, that's not a huge amount and so combining that with some content that you've curated from other people can be a really powerful way of showing that you are kind of the owner of that niche, whether that's baking, whether it's savory dishes, whether it, whatever it happens to be, um, sharing other people's content within that space can be really, really um, um, powerful. Um, so it, I guess the key lesson here is don't be afraid to share other people's content. We're very used to doing it in newsletters um, and indeed actually in social, we're, we're quite used to sharing or retweeting other people's content when we find 
it of high value. Um, what we're talking about here in terms of social curation is, is just taking it one step up, being a little bit more methodical about it and going, actually, if I can pre-select, let's say, um, a range of content from other people in my space or maybe in related spaces, um, like kitchenware, for example, might be a good example where it's not a direct competing kind of um, uh, brand, but it's, it's, it, it's absolutely complementary. If I can pre-select content from these this, this range of people um, and create social posts around those and add that to my calendar or my, my buffer queue or whatever it happens to be that you're using, um, then that's a really powerful sort of mix of an output. Some of your posts are directly linking back to your site. Some are you sharing other people's. Um, it's just a way of creating a healthy kind of output. And it puts you at the center of that kind of knowledge around that subject matter that you know your audience cares about. And it takes a burden off our shoulders. It doesn't require us to create all of it. I love that you made that distinction between creators and curators. Thank you for doing that. And yeah, it just kind of helps us to breathe a sigh of relief. Like, okay, I don't have to do this all. It also helps other people. So if you're sharing other bloggers' content, it helps them. If you're sharing other brands' content, it helps them. And it also gives you an opportunity to maybe work with the brand and partner with them and say, hey, look, I share your content all the time. I love it. Would you mind defining, Benjamin, what the difference is between influencers and small businesses? Because I know food bloggers kind of toe the line with identifying with both. I, well, I think that's reasonable, I think, to be fair, um, because you can be both at once. I, I think you'll probably get sl- slightly different answers depending on who you're talking to. But from my perspective, a small business, was, sorry, what was the other term? Was it small business? Um, so influence, influencer and small business. Yeah. Okay. So small business suggests that there's a business um, underpinning that entity that, that that goes beyond the fact that they are they're, they're, they're influencing in, in a particular space or that they have knowledge about a particular subject. So they might be selling, you know, crafts or kitchenware or, 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 or even just membership to something. But that there is a business behind it um, that it, that goes beyond kind of just being a an authority on a particular subject matter. Whereas an influencer just you could almost say an influencer is a subset of a, of a, of a small business, I suppose. And, and it really just refers to this notion that you are someone or a brand that um, has the capacity to influence um, within your audience. And, and the great thing about an influencer, I suppose, is that actually it doesn't matter to what extent or scale your audience is. You can have an audience of one and you are still an influencer to that one person. Um, and that's powerful because really all it's recognizing is that assuming you, 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 you have a relationship with an audience, as I say, from anything from one to one million um, and beyond, of course, um, you have an opportunity to share information with them and influence their thought process, their decision-making process, their buying process, um, hopefully in a, in a, in a moral um, and ethical way. Um, and that's really powerful because it's, it, it's, it should be empowering for you to recognize that you have that um, opportunity to influence in a, in a positive way. But it's also powerful on the other side to recognize that other brands might really like the fact that you have an influence um, over a particular niche or, or some upset of an audience the example you gave before about curating content the idea that it can put you on the radar of another brand or or of another business or influencer is great because you create those relationships and if they see that you have an influence over a particular audience or you just have an audience um great conversations and opportunities can arise from that i love that so we really are both a lot of us are business owners we consider ourselves business owners so we're we are small businesses we're trying to make a profit but we're also trying to help people and because we are authorities in you know certain areas 
that makes us influencers as well. So we're both. Yeah, I guess don't undersell undersell yourself. You know, you've got your core business, but but simply recognizing that you have an audience of X, whatever that is, 500 to 2 million, recognize that there is value in that. Um, A responsibility as well, of course, as I said, being ethical and, and positive in terms of how you engage with them. But there's a real opportunity there to... Um, deepen that relationship and, 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 and everything else that that entails. Okay. I have a question about the importance of social media because we kind of get that, you know, that whole sense that social media is super important. We have to be on all the channels, all the platforms, um, being active on Instagram. And some people believe Facebook. I don't know. It's kind of a dying thing in some worlds. But what do you think about that? So I think social is, is a really important part of the overall jigsaw which is kind of marketing and and how you get your word out there um but just recognizing i suppose that it's not the be all and end all it should be a part of your marketing output but not the only thing um but it's one of those because it's hyper technology you know hyper technology i mean you know what does that mean but because it's <laughs> because it's it is it is um in its high tech in that sort of sense that um it, it doesn't require a kind of you know you printing a book and sending you know that doesn't have a kind of a time sort of cost with it or anything else. It is so accessible, so easy to, con- to create as well as to consume. It almost bucks the, the original advice that I gave at the beginning, which is, you know, around um, experimentation and just focusing on one thing. Because with social media, you can afford to actually be across all of the social networks or certainly the major ones. Let's, you know, just name the top four, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. There is almost no excuse not to be active in those four networks um albeit at the same time you might only have one of those where you are let's call it super active where you where you're actually committing to so you and and this will vary depending on where your audience lives and 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 demographics and all sorts of things but let's imagine that you know you have a really active facebook group and that's where you spent most of your time but you don't do anything on twitter linkedin and instagram my argument would be actually there's because of the nature of social media there's no excuse not to be active on those other three networks but that doesn't mean that you become less active on Facebook if that's where your audience is. And social media platforms like Missing Letter, but doesn't have to be Missing Letter. It could be Buffer or Hootsuite or, or anything else. Um, they enable you to really, really quickly and easily be active on all of those um, uh, networks in a way that kind of takes the thought process out. You can kind of automate um, that sort of marketing aspect of it. And there you are. You, you kind of instantly almost kind of broadened your audience. Can you define active? So you say be active on all of the platforms if possible. Um, like how many times a week would you say that is? So I think here we can make the distinction between posting and nurturing community. Let's, let's think, of, think of it in those terms. So simply posting um, your content, whether it's curated content, whether it's you talking about a blog post you've just published or whether it's just you tweeting a, a, an opinion about a new um, gizmo that's come out or whatever it happens to be. That is you posting on social media. That, for me, is the table stakes. There's no excuse not to be active in that sense across all of the four major and potentially beyond uh, social networks. That's you going into Buffer or Missing Letter or whichever, wherever you prefer to do it, and cr- creating one social post. Let's you know, let's let's take that example of um, commenting or sharing your opinion on a new kitchen gadget that's come out. Writing it once, knowing that it's going to be sent to all four social networks. So it's it's literally as quick as sending to one you're you're just using a platform to send it to all four in one go that is active in terms of just posting the next bit then raises the question around community and where 
are you spending your time building that community? Because and this comes back to that experimentation kind of piece and that notion of kind of focusing on what you're you know what you're doing versus tr- trying to do all things to all men. Um, because the reality is that it takes a lot of time and effort, as I'm sure your audience knows, to to really nurture a, a an audience across social media, uh, and, and you know whether if it's a Facebook group, you know just being present, you know, asking questions, um, helping uh, uh, new members work out how to do things and whatever that happens to be. Um, so that takes more effort. And I would argue, certainly start off with just one social network to, 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 to sort of go that deep into. You can certainly broaden out once you've got more capacity. Um, but think of it in those two terms, post across all, but, but initially build that audience in, in just one network. What do you feel about posting the exact same content across multiple platforms? So the same thing on Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, I think we can. We tend to get quite hung up on this. I think as as individuals, I think it's easy to do, and it's easy to see, easy to see why because we can very easily kind of illustrate in our mind and picture one tweet or one post. You know, let's just you know whatever the, the word and image is. Um, we can very much visualize it going out duplicated across all four it's easy to just picture that scenario but in reality um your audience aren't necessarily following you across all four I, 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 certainly from my perspective for, for the brands that i follow depending on the nature of i suppose it comes down to that building of community depending on where they i can tell they are focusing on building their community i will follow them on one or the other so twitter or facebook um is generally where i would i would follow but it, it's very rarely that i will follow them on both so I think, of course, there's always exceptions, but I think we fear too much that we have an individual follower who is literally following us across all of our social accounts. And if they did that, they might well see um, the same post go out. Um, but I think it's far less likely than you might think. Um, but it, but even so, in, in, in a tool like Missing Letter, you can set, set up your time slots, let's say, um, and they, they will be different by design. So you might have the same post going out, but one would go to Twitter at two in the morning, a silly example, maybe eight in the morning. Um, one might go to Facebook at two in the afternoon. So there, there would often always be that time difference anyway. Um, but generally speaking, don't worry about it too much. I think it's it's not as bad as you might think. And it's possible, right, that people on different platforms might enjoy different presentations of your content. So maybe someone on Facebook enjoys really watching videos um, and maybe people on Instagram like your beautiful photography. So you might have to, like you said earlier on, like experiment with that and see what people are liking. What do you think about that? Yes, exactly. I mean, that, that's definitely the next stage. So kind of level one, if you will, is just make sure that when you're composing a social post that you're sending it to all four of the main networks. Um, and don't worry too much about it being the same content. But level two is absolutely what you're talking about, which is, hang on, there's there's Twitter here that has a limit of 280 characters, but I don't have that limit on Facebook. And actually in, in Instagram, it's much more of a photo-centric experience. So straight away, that hopefully will lead you to just invest a bit more time into experimenting, but also just recognizing that each one will certainly benefit, doesn't necessarily need in the early days, but will certainly benefit from having a slightly different length of word, style of writing, but also media that goes with it. But again, don't get hung up on thinking that um, every single post that you send to Instagram, or let's say Facebook has to be more than 280 characters. Um, Start off by just maybe one out of 10, just spend that extra time doing a slightly customized version for Facebook versus um, Twitter, and just build from there, work out what works, what resonates, 
um, and crucially, which bits you enjoy the most. Because you know, if, if you're terrible at writing, well, hopefully you're not. If you're a, a, a blogger, but <laughs> let's imagine you are terrible at writing long, uh, lengthy things. Stick to the short ones in the you know in, initially. There's no harm in that. Play to your strengths. That's funny. I'm sitting here thinking about how I cater to the different platforms, and I don't post on Twitter. Actually, I might do an automated post. I haven't logged into Twitter for years. Um, and I rarely go on LinkedIn, but I do focus on Facebook and Instagram. And if I sit down to write a post for Facebook and the same thing for Instagram, I write totally differently. I can't even put words to that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I know who I'm talking to and it's different over here. Like I know one has to be a little bit longer. One has to be a little bit more casual and like fun. So that's really funny that we we kind of get to know the personalities of the people who show up in different areas and we cater to that without even really thinking about it. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because I would, I'm guessing here, but, but, but when you first started out in those networks, maybe you were doing more of the level one where you were kind of just doing the same thing to both. But as you say, you've kind of built up this kind of understanding and and second um, kind of sense almost of, um, how they like to be engaged with on that network and you've you kind of naturally evolved to level two where you're now just customizing the the, the output um for that particular audience um on that network that's great i mean that's that's what you should be aiming for it's, it, it's all just a balance of of your time and, and everything else that sort of factors in it's like they're different friends and you know their personalities and you're just like talking to a different friend. Of course, you're going to say different things to this friend because she's this and that friend wouldn't like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's really cool to think about that. Okay, I need to get your opinion on hashtags because this is a widely debated topic in our space. Do we use them? How many do we use? How much do we research? Does it really matter? I would love to hear your thoughts on all of that. So it's not the be all and end all. Um, and ultimately, if you don't like hashtags, just don't use them. It won't, it won't, you know, be the difference between you succeeding or not. Um, because some people just just actively don't like them, and it doesn't mesh with their style. And at the end of the day, this, you know, whether it's a two hundred eighty character post or a longer form Facebook post, it's still your creative output. And so it it, it, it it follows that, or it should follow that that anything you're outputting and writing writing creatively sort of matches up with your you know, your style and, and what's important to you and everything else. And so if, if you find that hashtags jar with that, that's no problem. Leave it out. Don't include them. But if you're not in that camp, um, then definitely, yes, they, they, they can help. Um, but don't get too hung up on them. Um, and certainly don't fall into the fallacy of needing to or feeling as if you need to be following the trends of the day. Um, because at the end of the day, if, if you're catching a trend, you're probably catching it too late. Um, and even those trends, there are so many of them. Um, you know, so many people um, are, are hashtagging with that particular thing. So think of it more as a signpost is the way I like to think about it, that has the opportunity to garner discovery. But think of it as a signpost rather than discovery. And what I mean by that is that we've often been sort of geared up to think of it as a discovery mechanism. Like if I hashtag with this particular tag, it's, it's going to help lots of people find me. And that can happen, of course. And that's fundamentally what, what it's there to do. Um, but what I think is more effective is to think of it more as a signpost. And what I mean by that is, let's imagine we're writing something about, you know, kitchenware or, or, or a new recipe or something else. Um, use those hashtags as ways of literally um, signposting the, the broader topic or subject matter that you're talking about. So, you know, it's got to be natural. It's got to be relevant. So it could be gluten free or it could be vegan or whatever it might be. 
yes, it doubles up as a discovery mechanism, but you're adding it because it adds value to the overall piece of content. It acts as a signpost so that when people are scanning down um, their social feeds, and in fact, a great example of this is is maybe it's just on my Twitter client. I don't use the official one, but a, a, a different one on my iPhone. They're now highlighting hashtags in red, which means they really stand out. So the hashtags act as a really quick way to catch someone's attention and signal to them what it is you're talking about. Um, so you really want them to join up and to make sense to, 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 you know, to what you're talking about. And if it also means that people discover you because people have searched for vegan and they've stumbled across yours, all the better. But start off from a point of, does this actually help explain or add context? Does it anchor the, the content that I'm actually um, writing in the first place? Do you personally have a hashtag strategy that you use, like number of hashtags or different levels of you know popularity, that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I don't get too hung up on the popularity side of things. Um, although in Missing Netta, we are working on a, a pretty cool update that will really help because you know, one of the things that we do is we will we'll, we'll, we'll extract and create a, a year's worth of social content for each blog post that you publish. And from that, we'll, we'll work out hashtags for you and everything else. So we're doing a lot of clever things that will help you understand which out of the ones that you've chosen, those hashtags that we've generated for you, which ones are the most popular. Because you might as well, as long as they're relevant, you might as well choose the most popular ones. But generally speaking, from, for me personally, I like to choose one to three. Um, I generally don't like more than three, um, just as personal preference. Um, and I just like to make sure that it at least joins up with the subject matter that, that, that we're talking about. Right. Okay. That's cool. I like that. And that kind of takes weight off our shoulders too, because we, we're given 30 or whatever it is, and we feel like we need to use all those 30, but we really don't. If, if you have three that really align with what you're talking about in your post, then use those three. And that's kind of what you're saying. We don't need to go overboard just because they're there. Well, now I'm going to just reverse half of what I've just said, actually, because Instagram <laughs> is a little bit different. And this is where each network does have different sort of nuances. And I, I certainly don't think we're in the days of, you know, the early days of Instagram where you, you plastering it with 30 is really what you need to be doing today. But Instagram can cope with or, or an Instagram post can cope with a few more than three. So maybe anything up to sort of five to eight is is certainly reasonable within the Instagram. I think generally speaking on the other networks, three is a good sort of happy medium, but you can go a little bit more on Instagram, I think. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. And then I have the mother of all questions. Benjamin, what is the most important thing an influencer slash small business can do to improve their social media effectiveness? Hmm, good question. Um, I think just make sure that you are on social. I know that sounds really obvious, but make sure you're on social. If you're only on Facebook, just start sending things out to at least Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you can, Instagram as well. Um, start off from there, level one, as we referred to it before. Just get the ball rolling and get comfortable with sharing the same thing to the same ones and then experiment from there. Just getting out there and being comfortable with that is really important. But going back to the point before about you're probably still going to have the main network that you care about the most. If that is the case, make sure you update the other social network bios so that they link back to that. So for example, if you, if you are um, nurturing a community on Facebook, on a Facebook group, you might relate or refer to that in your Twitter bio and say, head over to Facebook, to our Facebook community um, for all the, you know, all the good stuff or, wh or whatever it might be. Um, so that when people do discover you on there, um, they know where to follow up with to get more information, et cetera. Um, but that's the table stakes. The rest of it really is, you know, I think 
particularly for your audience, I, 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 I do think it's worth checking out the drip campaigns feature that we have. I, I, I alluded to before this, this sort of this idea that each blog post can be automatically converted into a, a year's worth of social media content. I think for content creators, whether you use missing letter or not, um, creating a year's worth or, or at least a few months worth of social content to promote each blog post that you publish is really key. Um, because one thing I've, I, you know, I learned back in the agency days actually is that it's very easy. It's very natural to publish a blog post and think, Oh, I, I, I must just mention this on Twitter or Facebook. And so people will post something along the lines of just publish a new blog post on XYZ, check it out. Um, and that will get a few clicks, but most people if left to their own devices will just forget and, uh, and to do anything after that point and we'll just move on to the next blog post as important as that is um but actually the real value and opportunity here is if we can drip out a social post over the next 12 months or at least a, a certain number of months linking back to that original blog post with different content each time of course um then it it draws out that kind of half-life if you will of engagement um, and traffic that you can generate for each blog post so it's really really powerful um, as a way to you know as i say drive traffic back to that blog post so check that out or at least just take on board the the principle of of a sort of a, a drip campaign so missing letter and actually it's kind of funny because missing letter has a missing letter right there's a missing e there <laughs> Um, to keep you on your toes. Yeah, keep you on your toes. So it's L-E-T-T-R. You guys should check it out. And how would you compare it to like Buffer? And I cannot think of the other one. It's just escaping me. I use Buffer. It's okay. Like, I mean, it works, you know. I don't know. I'm sure missing letters way better. How does it compare to something like Buffer? So there's a lot I could say, but I will save your audience of the of the pain of it all. Um, there's a huge amount that we do that is different from from Buffer, but I think, and indeed for for pretty much any social network out there or social um, management tool, I think the key point really, if we look at Buffer as an example, is that they put all of the onus, all of the responsibility on you, the the the, the owner of that account, that the creator, the business owner, to create the social posts yourself, and so you now need to be responsible for turning up every day or once a week you need to remember so and we're, we're fallible you know we're humans at the end of the day and habits hard to kind of stick to um been there um and and crucially once we remember to log into buffer we need to remember to top it up with content we need to compose that content so if we go back to that analogy of taking a publishing a blog post and then coming up with a year's worth of social posts for that blog post it takes time and effort and, it, and brain power to kind of how do I write this? How do I, which quotes are the best ones to use? What imagery do I need to use? And because you, you don't want to be using the same post multiple times, of course. With missing letter, although you can just treat it like a buffer where you just have a calendar or a queue that you just keep topped up with your own content, the real power is that we help you add content to your calendar automatically um, based off um, your blog posts and indeed YouTube videos if, if you're publishing those. Um, so we, we are a lot more opinionated about why you're using social media. Um, and it's it, it, we believe it stems in this notion that you have content, you need to find ways to promote it. And our job is to help you come up with automatic, um, naturally worded, effective social um, posts that are ready to go. You just need to click go and we'll drip it out for you. Um, so we kind of remove that need for you to form a healthy habit, remember to turn up each day um, and and just get the basics done across social so that you can really invest that time um, nurturing your community in the ways that we discussed before. Sounds amazing. Do you guys have a free trial or anything like that that we could get started yes. with? Okay. 
So we have a free plan, first of all, so um, no pressure at all. You can try it out on one of the social networks um, and you can use a, a good um, uh, a number of the features that we have. Um, but we also have free trials for our solo and pro plans. Um, so check it out, missingletter.com, missing and then L-E-T-T-R.com. How long has Missing Letter been around? Um, so we've been going around five years now, I think. Oh, wow. Okay, that's great. Cool. Everyone check it out. And just, is there anything, Benjamin, that we've missed that you feel like we need to touch on regarding our amazing topic today? I think that's it. I mean, it is a broad topic. And it, as long as you embody experimentation at the core of it, you will be fine. But if you have any questions, you can find me on Twitter, um, which is at Bendel, B-E-N-D-E-L-L. Happy to answer any questions. But if you have any questions specifically about Missing Letter, hit the support button on our on our site and if you want if you, as i say if you've got a specific question about anything i've raised here happy to um follow up over over twitter awesome well i'm putting you on the spot again benjamin um, before you go i like to ask my guests if they have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with my listeners yeah, I don't think I do. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, 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 a cry of panic um I don't think I do. I, I'm one of those weird, I, I like to consume for inspiration, which is ironic because you're asking me for an inspirational quote. Um, but I, I don't live my life by them. Um, so I don't really follow, I don't drag anything around with me in terms of quotes that, that kind of inspire me. I suppose the one that I care about the most is, now I think about it, is Steve Jobs' quote um, that I'll probably bastardize now, which is this idea that uh, aim for where the hockey puck is heading, not for where it is now, i.e., um, you've got to sort of your job as the business owner, no matter the scale of your company, is to is to kind of second guess where the industry and your customers are going, what they ultimately need, not that not what they're saying is the problem now. Um, because if you ask, you know, I think was it Ford, um, he said right at the back, you know, said well, what what is it you need, um, or what? Well, the quote, but it was like, what, what is the what is it you would like most um, out of your horse? And you know, they said just a faster horse, faster horse. Um, whereas, because of course they weren't thinking of cars, they hadn't been invented yet. So yeah, just think carefully, you know, be confident in your own vision, um, and check in with customers and readers along the way to make sure that they are liking what you're doing, but ultimately have faith and confidence in what you set out to do in the first place. I love that. And see, look, you pulled out two amazingly famous dudes from the past. And <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll check them. We'll probably find that they were completely misinterpreted. But <laughs> sounds good on that. No, I love that. That's a great way to end. Well, thank you so much for being here, Benjamin. It's been so fun to chat with you. A great way to start my day. Also, I just wanted to mention, we will put together a show notes page for you. So if anyone wants to go peek at those, you can go to eblogtalk.com forward slash missing letter. And don't forget, letter has a missing e. Um, ben, you told everyone where to find you on Twitter. Are you on Instagram? Can people find you there as well? It's the same Ben Dell, but I haven't, you know, at B-E-N-D-E-L-L, but I haven't used it in quite a while. I'd like to think a couple of good photos there, but um, uh, they're quite old ones. Um, but yeah, Twitter's the main one for me. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.